welcome to episode 8 of the Raw Otters Podcast. It's amazing. We're still here, or I'm still here. I don't know why I say we. Anyway, let's get a couple simple things out of the way first. We are on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and uh, by the time you listen to this, hopefully on Google Play Podcasts as well. Wow. Yeah. Moving up in the world. I got a compliment from a friend the other day about uh, about how he liked the show. Just basically saying, like, you know, the show is good. You know, you've been needing to do this for a while, and I'm enjoying listening, and blah, blah, blah. It was, it was very nice to hear. Um, I've heard it from a few people, uh, mainly uh, journalists who have been on the show who say that, you know, they enjoyed it, or uh, when they have shared it, or I've shared it on social media, on their social media. Uh, commenters, friends of theirs, whatever, have said that they enjoyed it. Yeah, so it's nice. It's nice to be able to have a platform. You know, I have a website, obviously, rawautos.com, don't forget. And uh, it's it's nice to, to have a place where you can say what you want and, and do what you want. And with this being episode 8, uh, realistically, I probably should have done this in episode 1, but episode 8 will be all about rawautos.com. Uh, how I created it, where it spawned from. Um, yeah, that's what it's going to be because realistically episode one, like I said, should have probably been this, the introduction, but it wasn't, I wanted to get it off the ground with, uh, with something interesting, uh, with someone interesting. And that was, uh, Ilana Shear, which was a great, great show as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I think she's a, just an awesome, awesome badass chick uh so yeah check that out uh and she says it's okay if she gets called a badass chick she just does not like being called female which i kind of get it's kind of a weird thing i i caught myself saying it uh uh recently uh caught myself saying female and i was like why do i say female why i don't know anyway we're going to talk about the raw autos dot com, you know, the website where the Rodas podcast comes from and what this is all about. Um, by the way, if you hear anything loud in the background, it's because uh, it's storming outside of my house. If you don't hear anything, obviously the microphone is doing its job. Uh, you might hear some clicking here and there because I'm going uh, through um, uh, various websites um, or various tabs. Because uh, I have things pulled up from Raw Autos. So Raw Autos was actually created in uh, around August, September of 2007 is when it became an idea, essentially. And and a buddy of mine, Tom, who I will have on the podcast at some point soon, uh, Tom um, is a web hoster, web developer, and we were sitting around. It was actually, I was at a European car club meet. Uh, you know, car clubs used to be a thing. I don't know if they still are. Um, it's basically before cars and coffee was a thing. You went to car club meets and car club meets were typically you had dinner, you had ice cream. It was, you know, a movie or something like that. And you'd all pull up and pull into a parking lot and hang out. Uh, you'd go have dinner or whatever. Then you'd talk about the cars before or afterwards. Um, and uh, it was always a good time. Sometimes people were a little douchey. You know, they did stupid things to, to 
just, you know, do burnouts or do donuts or do, you know, different things in the parking lots that would just get everybody else in trouble for no reason. You know, we'd be like, dude, come on. Um, but for the most part, everybody was pretty cool. Um, but anyway, so I was at this, uh, I was going to this car club meet. I was talking to my buddy Tom and I said, you know, I'm going there and it was a dinner. It was at a place called Rudino's. Um, we're all hanging out and I, I told Tom I was gone and I said, uh, what did I have at the time? Oh, I had my 2006 Mazda, Mazda Speed 6. Just remember that Mazda and Mazda Speed are two different names. You can call it a Mazda Speed 6. You can call it a Speed 6. Uh, but you can't call it a Mazda Speed 6. It's a Mazda, Mazda Speed. So Mazda Speed is its own term, you know its own sub set of Mazda sub brand of sorts, I guess it's, it was like their AMG or M division. Um, and before the Mazda speed three, uh, the, uh, Mazda speed six was a, just a really, really cool sedan. I love that car. Miss it. Actually, it was a black GT, uh, GT package, uh, didn't have navigation. Um, but one of the things that was kind of cool was that the navigation screen popped up uh, in the center on the, the dashboard. Uh, but if you didn't have that, uh, you actually just had this. Uh, it was like a kind of like this big square glove box. You push the button and it would pop up and you could put anything in there. It was actually really, really cool. I loved having that. Um, loved having that car. That car got wrecked twice. <laughs> that was a... That was a great car. Um, but anyway, uh, we'll talk about those wrecks at another time. But um, I was actually, I had been selling cars um, and I i was enjoying it. Um, I mostly enjoyed just the interactions with people and I had a good time selling cars, I, but I was too honest. Um, I, I'm a good, I'm a good salesperson in general. If I believe in the product, if I believe in it. Um, but if I don't, I just don't really, I don't really care. And it's funny cause I sold Mazda and Kia, uh, new and then, um, used, I sold basically everything. And, um, I made great relationships, great friendships there. But, uh, it was funny. I believed in the Mazda brand. I loved the Mazda brand. It was actually because if you hear anything breathing, by the way, it's my dog underneath of the desk, uh, cause the thunder was getting to her. So she's underneath the desk snoring. Um, one of my dogs, the other dog couldn't give a shit less, but so when I started selling Mazda, I actually traded, I had a Mazda CX seven, uh, when I was going off to college, that was my college car. I traded that about six or seven months later for a Mazda speed six. Uh, I was actually my, that was my first manual car that I ever owned. It's not the first one I drove, but it was the hardest manual to date that I've ever driven. It was God. I stalled that car every everywhere. Oh my God. It was so difficult. The clutch was so damn difficult, but once you got it right, it was so rewarding. Uh, everybody made fun of me because everybody I knew that knew how to drive a manual. They made fun of me. Uh, because they were like, there's no way it's that bad. And they all drove it. They all stalled out all the time. And then, but they all said the same thing. Once you got on some back roads, 
once you really got it moving, it was like there was this beautiful connection. Uh, it was it was a wonderful car to drive. It really was. All-wheel drive. Uh, it had an active torque split sensor where it would put up to 100. Uh, it would put either, it would be either 50-50 uh, for uh, power and torque um, front to rear, or it would throw all 100 to the rear wheels. Um, somebody I got to get on a podcast is a guy named Randy Popst. Uh, the professional racing driver, because there was a video, and I, I don't think I could, I, I don't think I've ever found it since, but there was a great video of him driving the piss out of a silver Mazda Speed 6. I think, I want to say at Mazda Raceway, Laguna Seca, when it was Mazda Raceway. Yeah, I have to try and find that video. Anyway, uh, but I'll have to have Randy on the on the show as well, because I, I think he could shed some light on this, and I think he's, well, number one, he's extremely entertaining. Anyway, so... Uh, I started selling cars for this Mazda Kia dealership shortly after I bought this Mazda Speed 6. Uh, I dropped out of college. So I wasn't really doing anything in college. Um, and I started selling for the local Mazda dealership that I actually bought my Mazda Speed 6 at. Um, I would say that was two months, two or three months after I got my car. And the funniest thing was when I got there, when I got the job, the Mazda uh, CX-7 that I had traded in was still sitting on the lot out front, and they kept discounting it, discounting it, discounting it, discounting it. My manager told me at the time, and he's uh, become a personal friend, and, and uh, don't talk to him that often, but when we do, it's nice to reminisce. A great guy. Um, when, I hand, when I took my resignation letter over to his house, because I was friendly with him and his wife at the time, uh, and, uh, we used to play guitar together or whatever. He also had an E46 M3 convertible manual. Uh, he used to let me drive, but, uh, I went over there and I gave him my resignation letter and he said, great, threw it on his kitchen table and said, let's have margaritas. And we proceeded to get drunk together and have just great laughs and great times. A good, good quality human being. Um, and, uh, anyway, so where was I going with this? Oh, so he told me, that's right. He told me that, uh, you'll probably, I'll probably be doing that a lot. He told me that I think at the time he had, they had lost about $5,000 on that deal. Um, because basically I got more, I negotiated more. My dad was on the phone with me the whole time. So my dad uh, made this pact with me. He said, basically, son, if you can go in. Here's the payoff for your CX-7. If you can go in and negotiate a deal where I at least get the payoff, maybe more, and you get the Mazda Speed 6 for this much, I'll pay for the car. I'll pay the monthly payments. So I was like, challenge accepted. This was like the golden challenge as far as I was concerned. Like, wait a second. So my dad wanted to challenge me basically to see if I was worth a shit, I guess, in life. Um, went in there, negotiated a pretty good deal. I got I got a little over the payoff um, of the CX-7 and not quite the deal in the Mazda Speed 6. And at the time, I was really excited. I was on the phone with my dad and I said, Dad, you know, this is the deal. And he's like, nope, those weren't the terms. Walk out of the dealership now. Well, the sales guy had walked out of the office to to go talk to a manager or something. I picked up my keys off the desk. 
I got into the CX-7 and drove away. And he, five minutes later, he called me. He's like, dude, where'd you go? What the hell? What's going on? And I was like, sorry, man. It's just not the right deal. Not interested. And I hung up. Called it, He called me back like 10 minutes later. Dude, we're going to make the deal. We're going to make the deal. You got to come on back. Got to come on back. So I'm like, okay. All right, yeah. So I turn around, go back to the dealership. <clears throat> and uh, the other manager that I didn't actually work for, I didn't actually work for at the time, but I knew him. Uh, after, after I started working there because he was best friends with the manager that I became friendly with, but he had already left for another dealership by that point. Uh, anyway, so he walked over and he shook my hand and, uh, he said, uh, you know what? We're going to make the deal. You know, we're going to lose a little bit of money on this Mazda speed six, but you know what? It's not every day you get to put somebody in a, in a Mazda speed six. Um, they, he'd said they had like two or three and that this was the last one, uh, for 2006, um, and, uh, so I got the deal just like calling, text my dad, whatever, got the deal. It was done. Uh, he came, he came to the dealership about a day later and, uh, signed the paperwork, got everything done. Um, but I was told by the manager that I became friendly with Dylan. He told me, I think they said, I think he said they lost about five grand in that car because the deal was so bad. Uh, because, uh, the guy who actually, sold me the car, was terrible at selling new cars, excellent at selling used cars. Um, most of this I would have never believed had I not seen some of the sales sheets. I didn't work with him, but I worked with, you know, the guys who had worked with him and he went off to like a rock lot and he came back from time to time and he would show us different things, paperwork and everything. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't believe what he was able to bamboozle people for. And it was terrible. It was awful. It was absolutely just insane. Sold somebody uh, a used Dodge Caravan and was already like 10 grand over book value on the on this van, right? Gets him in his office, tells them, oh, it's your lucky day. We forgot we had this van had the optional third row. Well, all the damn vans had the third row seating. They all came with them. What the, what this rocklet had done was they pulled the third row out and where they pulled the third row out. I don't know if it could come out, but anyway, it was, I think it was, I think it was an old enough caravan that the third row had come out. Yeah. And basically like, this is a, you know, this is an extra option. You know, this is for an extra three grand, we'll throw the, um, third row in and they bought it. And I would have never believed that this was possible had I not actually seen the deal paperwork signed by the people signed by the manager and signed just by the, just by the couple that bought this guy. I couldn't believe it. Could not believe it to this day. It's still the most magnificently awful thing. I think I've ever seen a human being do to another human being with my own two eyes. I mean, my God, again, he was already like 10 grand over book value and adding an extra three grand. Those poor people. Anyway, uh, I digress lots. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, so I was going to go to <laughs> anyway, as we wrap all the way back around, holy shit. Uh, I've already been talking for like 15 minutes and I was going to make this like 30 minutes. <laughs> I'm such an ass. Anyway, go to, go to this car club dinner or I'm going to this car club dinner. I tell Tom and I tell him that a guy that I've never met, but a person I've heard of is going to be there. It's a guy named Anand, Anand Lal Shimpi. 
uh, he started a website called anontech.com. A-N-A-N-D tech.com. Tell Tom about this. Tom freaks out. He knows who Anand is. I'm like, good. Because, I mean, I, I knew of him. I knew the website. But I didn't know really a damn thing, you know? At that time, I was kind of techie, but not as much as I am now. Like, now I'm full-blown tech nerd. Tom was much more of a tech nerd than I was at that time. So he's like, can I go? I'm like, yeah, of course. So he and I and another friend go. Um, at the time, I think Tom had a... I think that was his... I think he had a 370Z. No, 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 no. No, well... 370Z, he might have just traded it for his E46 M3. I can't remember. Anyway, so we go up to we go up to this car meet. I have dinner with Anand. Uh, I sit with him purposely because I want to talk to him about writing about cars. I'm a sales guy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm selling cars, but I want to get out of this industry and I want to move into writing about cars professionally. This is about August, September, whatever. Look at him and I say, hey, Anand, I want to be a writer. Do you know anybody in the automotive game? You know anybody in, you know, with websites or with magazines or whatever that you could get me, you know, uh, an in with? And I never forget. He just looked at me and said, why would you want to work for somebody else? You can just start your own website, be your own boss, do your own thing, create your own voice and do that. Why the hell would you want to work for somebody? Now, granted, to this day, my dream is has always been to work for Car and Driver Magazine. Always has been. Always will be. It'll probably never happen, and that's perfectly fine. I'm okay with it. I gave up on that dream many, many years ago, but I, and I know people from Car and Driver. I know people from Road and Track and Motor Trend and Automobile, and I will most likely 99.9% .9 sure I will never actually get a job or get offered a gig writing for a car magazine, and I'm okay with it. I really am, because I love having raw autos. I love having my own voice. I'd probably have to give that up if I wrote for anybody else, and I don't want to do that, ever. So anyway, so uh, I'm like, hmm. I look at Tom, and he's he had just gotten started in web hosting and web development. He sold his uh, wholesale paintball business that he had, his website called pbparadise.com. Um, we were in, you know, mind you, we were in college together. I dropped out. He continued on. Um, but I said, you know, what do you think? You think this can happen? He's going, hell yeah, we can do this. We can do this. This is awesome. So we hang out with Anon for the rest of the night. At the time, he had a, um, he had a Lamborghini Gallardo Spider with a manual gearbox. He only bought manual gearbox exotics. Uh, he had ordered a Ferrari F430 Spider with or convertible with a manual Spider, yeah, with a manual. And in the meantime, he bought a Gallardo Spider manual. Uh, it was, oh God, was it? What color was it? I think it, I want to say it was white. I think it had like black and orange interior, something like that. Tom was swooning. Anyway, so uh, he tells us a story that, yeah, so I have the Lamborghini and uh, like a couple weeks after, because they said it was going to be like a year before he got his F430. And he's like, well, I'll just, you know, buy the Lamborghini and enjoy that and take, and get the Ferrari. So he uh, gets it, said a couple weeks later, they call him. Hey, your Ferrari's ready. It's at the dealership. He's like, holy shit. 
So he had a Ferrari and a Lamborghini. Tom and I and another guy, another friend of ours named Zach, we're all sitting there like, whoa, can we go see the Ferrari? He's like, yeah, sure. So Tom hops in his Lamborghini. Uh, Zach gets in, I think we were in my Mazda Speed 6. Either that or Tom's car, I can't remember. Anyway, we I follow Anand to his mansion. Now here's three you know, I'm, I'm a uh, two years older than Tom. So here, Tom is what? 18, 19. Uh, yeah, he's 19. Cause I'm 21. So him and Zach are 19. I'm 21. Uh, here we are three kids following this guy to his house and he shows us his garage, shows us his house, beautiful house. Um, and it was, it was amazing. That was, that was the whole thing. That was the whole start of raw autos. And he was like, you can do this on your own. You don't need to ask anybody for permission. You don't need to apply for any job. You can do this on your own. You just have to care about it enough. And I was like, okay, Tom and I spent weeks, uh, developing and creating. We, we had a web developer that was actually, you know, a guy that was actually creating a website, you know, designing and everything. And, uh, yeah, on October 1st, 2007, the first ever article of rawautos.com or for autos, rawautos.com went live. Um, and it was an article about Aston Martin. Uh, and I, I can read it to you now. I will probably cringe because my uh, just grammar and everything was terrible. But, uh, this came on October 1st, 2007. Uh, title was, is Aston Martin the next Porsche? Recently, Aston Martin has been in the news quite a bit. Most recently for the newest addition to the Aston family, the DBS. They were recently, a lot of recently, (laughs) they were recently sold by Ford to David Richard, who is the current chairman of ProDrive. ProDrive has no financial backing in Aston Martin, even though they do provide aftermarket products for Aston's along with a few other wealthy backers, including Ford, who kept a small stake in the company. The question that has been raised lately is, where is the company heading? Are they really going to be the next big thing? Can they possibly be the next Porsche of the automotive world? My answer, yes. Aston Martin is rapidly showing that with Dr. Ulrich Betts as their CEO, they took a lot more from Ford than anyone could have ever expected or could ever have expected, and that Betts has a clear, healthy vision of the old British company. Ford was able to provide a safe money background to help shape Aston Martin into what it, what it is currently. Jaguar was the engine supplier for the new V8 Vantage, and they will remain that way for a while. With Ford still owning a small stake in Aston Martin, that means that Ford can get some benefits, but Aston can keep all the materials they used Ford for. Why compare them to Porsche, you ask? Simple. Porsche is like the New York Yankees of the automotive world. Hate them as much as you want, and they can still kick your ass to the top of the mountain and back. They may struggle from time to time, but they are a dynasty and will remain that way. Now, I said that uh, begrudgingly uh, and painfully as a Baltimore Orioles fan. That's not in the article. I'm just letting you know. They may struggle, or sorry, (laughs) Porsche makes somewhere in the ballpark of $26,000 in profit off of each one of their cars they build and sell. While most automakers are lucky to make a thousand, Porsche is able to consistently make some of the most reliable and impressive pieces in the business. 
I believe Aston Martin is is well on its automotive way to becoming the next big thing and be the next company to take the exotic sports car business to a whole new level. With cars like the DBS and the Rapide debuting with as much buzz as they are, the DBS was the car used in the latest James Bond, excuse me, James Bond film, Casino Royale. Aston has already proven that they can add to a market that has a, that has few cars. When the Vanquish debuted in 2001, the world was in awe at what came from an Aston Martin assembly plant. Could this be an Aston Martin? When Aston was producing the DB7 and losing the public's interest by the day, the Vanquish came along and grabbed everyone by the balls and showed them what Aston could really do with beautiful craftsmanship and a badass V12. While the DB9 and the V8 Vantage are selling like hotcakes and looking absolutely gorgeous, new model variations have already debuted to add more spunk, like the DB9 Sport Pack to add some more enthusiast-style feel to the car. Along with what came out at the Frankfurt, Frankfurt Auto Show, the V8 Vantage N400 and DB9 LM, both with the Sports Pack to promote a more race-inspired driving experience. Bottom line is that Aston Martin is well on its way to becoming the company it was founded to be. An exotic enthusiast car for the people who care. Expect Porsche and Ferrari to at least have a little pee trickling down their legs, wondering if Aston can really bring to the table what they have already showed us. They have already proven that they, that they themselves are up to the challenge to change and become more exciting. Are you up to that challenge of taking them more seriously? I would be if I were you. So, and I used to have a sign off, which was just a dash and Josh, <laughs> just a, a little hash mark. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that was the first ever article. Uh, it's not great. And of course, Aston Martin has had their troubles since, but I still think they are an amazing car company and one of, one of my favorites. Uh, my parents actually, for um, a short period of time, had a 2008 Aston Martin V8 Vantage uh, Roadster which was phenomenal to drive. I actually drove it more than they ever did. My, it was for my mom. My mom didn't, she liked it, but she was just scared to drive something so expensive. My dad drove it from time to time, but at the time he had a CTSV that he drove uh, religiously. He was obsessed with it. And at that time, I also had a, an E90 M3, a 2009 M3. Uh, so, so that was the sedan with a manual gearbox. And uh, I used to drive the piss out of that Aston all the time. It was a great car. A lot of fun. Really, really great to listen to. Oh, my God. When you got that V8 roared up. And that one had the upgraded 4.7 liter V8. Whereas when it first came out, the V8 Vantage had a 4.3 liter V8. So it had a little more oomph to it. Anyway, so that was the first ever article that I wrote uh, back in the day for Raw Autos. And uh, I, ever since then, I mean, October 22nd, 2007, I started asking where did all the manuals go? And ever since then, I've been asking where the hell are the manuals? I've, I've been obsessed with manual cars uh, for many years, even though I didn't have one. I didn't drive one uh, when I first started, you know, getting into cars and first got my first car. My first car was actually a 1996 BMW 328 IS. Uh, IS back then meant coupe. Uh, I was the sedan. I loved it. Um, <clears throat> and then my first ever car review was a 2008 Cadillac CTS. Um, and I asked a Beamer beater. And that was my first ever test drive review. 
The CT8 at the time belonged to my dad, and he was pissed that I wrote a car review about it. Uh, not only did I write a car review about it, I really kind of trashed it. I really didn't like it very much. Um, and yeah, so I, I was not a big fan of that car. I I said I liked the older one better, which really today when I think about it is not true. The older one sucked. <laughs> it was okay, but I didn't like the second generation CTS. I thought it was it, it was okay. It was fine, but it was yeah. I thought there was too much hype. I still think the car magazines overhyped the shit out of that car. I just didn't didn't really enjoy it. Uh, it had great brakes, though, I'll tell you that much. It was pretty damn quick. It had a 3.6 liter uh, uh, V6 with 304 horsepower. It was pretty good. Um, but the interior trim was pretty rough. It was all right. But it was also... One my dad had was a little over 45 grand. At the time, I'm just looking at it going, ugh, ugh. Cadillac won't survive on this. Um, it was a good car, but it just wasn't great. I wasn't a big fan. Also, my dad had that, that burgundy red. It's called crystal red. Didn't like that. Uh, he also did not like the fact that when he read the article that I had figured out how to turn off all traction and stability control. I remember my mom was having, they were having dinner and she came home and she told me later that, uh, he was like, how the hell did he know to hold down the button for like, I think it was like five or seven seconds. He had to hold the button down to, to like turn everything off. And she's like, I don't know. He just, he knows these things. He's a car guy. What do you expect? So anyway, so yeah, I didn't like that car and I got in trouble for it. Um, <laughs> my dad was not happy about it. And then also my brother at the time, uh, so November 19th, 2007, I reviewed my brother's 2008 Mustang GT. Um, he had the... Uh, 355 uh, rear axle with limited slip differential is blue and uh, I reviewed that and my question was Mustangs can handle uh, I really did enjoy it I loved it um, he had a shaker 1000 stereo system with the sunroof um, he was actually a car salesman as well at the same time as I was but I got out of it and he stayed in it he sold for a Ford dealership that was very successful I love driving his car his car was great and uh, between that car and then, so we knew the owner of the deal of that Ford dealership, and he uh, then gave me a Ford Flex and a 2008 Bullet Mustang, both to review, and I reviewed both of them. And within days, or like a week, or a couple weeks, whatever, of them going live, uh, a uh, a person with uh, from a third-party PR company reached out to me that worked with Ford. You can probably hear the rain now at this point. Um, they reached out to me, and they, they really liked what I was doing, uh, I think, because I was favorable to Ford's. I really liked what they were offering. I, lo I, I still, to this day, love the Flex. I think the Flex was awesome. Um, I love the Bullet. I loved my brother's Mustang. I thought they were both great. And so... Um, they had invited me to uh, to come out to Michigan to test all of the new 2009 um, uh, 2009 uh, Ford products, and it was the uh, model year test drive. So I basically went there with real journalists. They flew me out there. I stayed in the hotel uh, where uh, Henry Ford's hotel that's on the grounds is like five star hotel. It's an amazing hotel. Um, and, 
I got to drive every car. It was the first first event I'd ever gone to, I'd ever been invited to, ever thought. I, just, I never never thought I would go, you know, that quickly to something. That was August 20th of 2008 when I wrote that article. And I think I went up there, I want to say I went up there in June, um, June or July of 2008. So when you think, when you think about what, um, that, that reminds me, when did I actually make the, or upload those videos to YouTube? Um, Cause that was the thing, people actually, they were slightly popular. Um, I mean, by slightly, I think they probably got like 20 or 30,000 views. Um, by the way, Raw autos on YouTube, please. I think I only have like 1160 um, subscribers. Uh, Ford Flex review um, was 11 years ago, it says. What, uh, what was the upload date on it? Uh, July 23rd, 2008. Okay, so it's, it was not when I thought it was. Okay, so, which is fine. Um, I thought shortly after my, um, um, June 29th, 2008, that video went up for the bullet Mustang. So I would say around June. Yeah. So it was probably around June that Ford actually reached out to me. It wasn't in 2007, it was 2008. Sorry. Uh, just going along with the flow. Pardon me. Um, they really liked what I was doing. They invited me up. I drove all their cars. Um, it was it was really kind of surreal because I'd never been to anything like that, never done anything like that. Um, my test drive review of the 2008 Bullet Mustang to date has done 76,000 views over 11 years, which is not a lot, but it was I think at the time I want to say it had like 20 or 30,000 in a period of a year or two, which was which was great, it was amazing. Um, I was also I think. I think I was the first person to ever actually, uh, the first like blogger of sorts to upload a review of the E92 M3. Uh, I got a local dealership, went to a local dealership, just pulled up, told him what I did and said, Hey, can I, you know, take this car out? Sales guy was like, yeah, let's do it. I'm not even gonna tell my manager. Took the car out. I absolutely drove the shit out of it. Um, got it up to 140, really enjoyed it, loved it. Posted these videos, and, and back in the day, I didn't know how to vi- didn't know how to edit videos, so I just had somebody hold a camera. Now with the M3, I didn't have anybody to hold the camera, uh, so I just I always did these post test drive review things, where I'd walk around the car and I'd do a specific exhaust video, and then I'd do an interior, then I'd do like a, you know an external walk around, a post test drive. I did all these crazy videos. It was like three videos to maybe five videos per car. It was dumb as hell. But people kind of enjoyed them. Some people really hated them. <laughs> Some people loved talking shit, which was fine. I, I didn't mind it. I love the criticism. I think it's funny. I think it's entertaining. But yeah, so... Uh, and around that same time that I was making these videos, Saab Kyle, who actually lives uh, about, I don't know, an hour or two away from me, uh, he was doing his videos, and I basically stopped because of him. Because people, I would talk to people, and this is nothing against Saab Kyle. I don't hate the guy or anything. I have nothing against him personally. I just would get frustrated because he went to dealerships as well and got cars. So when I would talk about how I reviewed cars or, you know, I'd make a video or whatever, 
people would say when I got there, they'd be like, oh, like Saab Kyle. I'm like, no, I'm not like Saab Kyle. Like, I really genuinely wanted to be a motoring journalist, a, a real automotive journalist, somebody who reviewed cars, um, not from, you know, hey, folks, how you doing? And then getting in the car and showing all the buttons. And that's fine. That was fine. I mean, look, it's been lucrative for him. But for me, I wanted to be a genuine, I, I thought of the days of old because when I was a kid, I read car magazines and loved them. And I, I enjoyed reading the David E. Davises and the Brock Yates's and the Patrick Bedards and the people of that era that I loved and adored. By the way, I was a kid in the 90s. I was born in 86. So all these, all these magazines were from the 70s. But they were my brother's magazines that he had found in archives and would buy. And then he would read them to me when I was a kid. And I would sit over his shoulder and learn all this stuff. So when I was 10 years old, I thought the greatest car in the world was the E36 M3. And I, I wanted to own an M3 so badly. And so I got an M3 years later. And then after that, I got a 911 and an 07 911 Carrera S. I, cha- I, I traded the must or the, uh, sorry, the, um, the M3 in on, on the on the 911. I had a I actually had a 2008 Bullet Mustang. The Bullet Mustang that I reviewed, I went back a couple weeks later and bought that car. It was really funny when I went to Ford's Proving Grounds to drive all the cars. They had found out that I was interested in trading my Mazda Speed Six for a for a uh, uh, a Bullet Mustang. Well, they put me in the car and they wouldn't they wouldn't let me out of it. So they just constantly, it just, I was doing laps in this car. Now around the circuit, you know, the test drive circuit, um, on their private tracks, they have a 55 mile per hour, you know, speed zone, you know, like don't, you know, journalists don't go over 55 miles an hour. That's mainly because some of the people just can't drive for shit. Uh, and it's just also to keep an order, you know, orderly. Uh, I had a couple of journalists that I rode with that did not adhere to that, but they got away with it because they were good journalists, people liked them, you know, and that they knew how to drive. So Ford figured out that I kind of knew how to drive, that I, I was decent behind the wheel and they just kind of let me rip roar and have a good time. So I went faster than the, than the 55 mile per hour, uh, limit of sorts. And, uh, I even, they thought it was hilarious that I even started talking to the, uh, the professional test drivers that were there like, Hey, how can I get faster around that corner? You know, here's this crest here. You know, what do I do? And so they thought it was hilarious that I'm basically trying to turn in lap times. But because I was looking at buying this bullet, they didn't give a shit. They were all happy about it. They were very, very excited for me to be driving the hell out of this car and enjoying it. And I got back and a week later, I bought the car. I bought a bullet. I loved it. And then I also had a 2005 Mini Cooper S that I got not long after that, around the same time. Um, and uh, yeah, so I traded both those cars for an M3, uh, I think uh, 15 months later, something like that. Uh, and then about 15, 16 months later, I traded the M3 for the 911. Yeah. And uh, But anyway, so you know, I, I did this, uh, this Ford event, absolutely loved it, had a great time. And while I was there... I got told by someone who decided to be a little anonymous source for that. Hey, the bullet Mustang is actually is actually a 2010 Mustang GT. It's a rolling testing bed. 
And I'm like, what? Can I write about this? And they're like, of course you can write about it. Just don't tell anybody that I told you. And I was like, this is amazing. This is incredible. So I I ran back to my hotel room, you know, typed that bitch up and put it on rawauditors.com, contacted uh, um, uh, Donald Bufamani Bufamani from autospies.com. I had uh, been introduced to him kind of through the grapevine via email and stuff. Said, hey, can I put this on autospies? Sure, kid, throw it up there. So I threw it up there and it got a shit ton of attention. Um, I had at one point in time been banned by a Mustang, um, uh, by a Mustang, uh, um, uh, forum, uh, because they said that I was full of shit, that I was lying. I was trying to make things up, uh, to get some free press for raw autos for this new website that nobody had ever heard of. And, um, one guy, I remember one guy was really pissed off cause he said, I got to drive, uh, the, it was, it was some like special, like 35th anniversary event, whatever for the Mustang. And he got to drive like a prototype that was still had camouflage on it, uh, leading the pack of all these Mustangs from every year around the track. And, but he only got to do like 25 miles an hour and he got some photos in the car, blah, blah, blah. But he, again, he only got to do 25 miles an hour. And he had to sign like an NDA, He's like, Ooh, you know, I didn't, I couldn't talk about it, you know, but no, I didn't feel like it was, a, it felt like a Mustang to me and it just felt like an old Mustang. It felt like a 2007, 2008 Mustang, you know? And I was like, look, dude, you drove the car at 25 miles an hour. I drove the shit out of it on a professional test track. And I was told by someone at Ford. You know, this is what I was told. They told me I could write it just as long as I didn't give any source names. And that's what I did. And that's how it went. And so, you know what? It came out, I don't know, about six months, a year later, whatever, that it was 100% true. What I said was right. And I remember I went back on the forum uh, because I'd been blocked and I had uh, messaged a moderator, got unblocked. And I said, I, I will take uh, uh, apologies in the form of cash credit and full frontal nudity which is a, a joke from a movie called van wilder i know not funny it was kind of dumb anyway but uh yeah so that's how it all started and so i i i'm gonna do a part two to this because this is already going long um i've already been doing this for like 40 minutes and i want to do a part two because i i want to talk about the fact that anybody can do this Anybody can create their own website. And if you really want to become a journalist or you really want to become someone who gives a shit about what you're talking about, if you care, you can create it and you can make it and it will work. Um, and so, because I've got great memories of all of my exploits of raw autos. Um, I even took three years off. I took three years off. I got a big boy job. And then when I came back, I made a couple phone calls and I had a couple people say, Oh my God, thank God you're back. We missed you. We love you. And they love me because I don't destroy the cars. I give everybody respect. Um, I love cars and I'm one of the few, sadly in my area that still knows how to drive a manual. And it's a shame, but I love cars and I'll never stop. I mean, I, the, the, probably the best compliment I've ever gotten was from a guy named Charlie Vogelheim. Uh, 
I don't know why I said his name, Charlie Vogelheim. Uh, Charlie Vogelheim was, um, I don't know what Charlie's up to now. I need to text him and see what he's doing. Anyway, maybe I can get him on the show because he's a very interesting guy. For many years, he basically was, uh, I think, I want to say it was for Kelly Blue Book, actually. Um, he co-hosted the Car and Driver radio show with Alan Taylor, Josh Hancock, and, oh, God, who was the who was the third or the fourth guy? I can't think of his name. Anyway, but I loved those guys, and I loved Bob Long of Motor Trend Radio and stuff. And I got to meet all of them, got to hang out with all of them, still know them to this day, which is really cool. Bob actually gave me my first shot on radio, interviewed me, and then I became the on-site producer for Motor Trend Radio when it went to auto shows and SEMA and CES. And... um and I became his on-site producer for his other shows, Auto World Radio, Bob Long Radio, which was his website that kind of how you know kind of oversaw everything. And Bob gave me my start. Bob was the guy who was like, "Hey, you're you're good at this. You know, you're a smart young guy. You know, come come. You know, how would you like to do this with me?" And I was like, "Oh my god!" But it gave me access to literally everybody. I got to meet and greet everybody. I got to hang out with and and. Bob let me talk to anybody before the show. He didn't care. He wasn't bothered by the fact that I was building my own resume. Uh, he knew that. He was fine with it. And also with the fact that it was amazing exposure. I could stand in front of CEOs and CFOs and, and you know the head of, of public relations and chit-chat with them and tell them about raw autos and then later get them to be interviewed by raw autos. It was amazing. It's the coolest thing in the world. And here I am, what, 23 doing this? So, you know, it was it was just amazing. So it just just to give you an understanding, again, you can do this. You just have to not be afraid of it. So I first went to I went to my first auto show, which was the LA Auto Show, what, in 2008? Um interviewed Patrick Dempsey. <laughs> Because I had a friendly friendly relationship with Mazda. Um, yeah, I was I, I got to talk so I was on with Bob Long. Um, he put me on uh, Auto World Radio, which was his his syndicated radio show. And then I think a couple weeks later he put me on Motor Trend Radio, which was amazing. It was it was crazy. Yeah, it was the LA, it was the LA Auto Show in two thousand nine. So I was there in December. And I sat down with Patrick Dempsey, had a conversation with him. I had, uh, I, I was fearless. I wasn't afraid of anybody. I wasn't afraid to talk to anybody, to introduce anybody. I was also at the time um, when I had started Raw Autos, maybe six months into it, I had uh, seen a website called bmwblog.com and uh, emailed the guy who owned the site and said, hey, like I'd like to write for you because he, he was looking for writers. And so... I asked to write for him. I started writing for him. I started going to auto shows as well. And funny thing was, he was very uncomfortable with uh, hobnobbing with anybody. Uh, it's because he was from Romania, and he actually spoke very good English, but he felt that he was just nervous about his broken English, and he was worried about it. And so I just wasn't afraid of it. I walked up to everybody at BMW. Hey, how you doing? Josh Lewis, rawautos.com. You know, I love BMWs. <laughs> and uh wasn't afraid to talk to anybody wasn't afraid to shake hands uh wasn't afraid to to you know 
get in anybody's face, not in an offensive way, but like, hey, let's let's talk. You know, I, I, I want you to know who I am. Wasn't afraid of it at all. Still, I'm not afraid of it. I don't care. I've got one life to live when it comes to cars. Now, this is the funny thing. I don't have a lot of shame. Everybody knows this about me. Uh, I don't have a lot of shame. I don't really care. Doesn't matter. I overanalyze the hell out of everything, though. Um, anything I do, overanalyze it like crazy. But realistically, I don't care. I, I'm not afraid. Not afraid to talk to people. I'm not afraid. I, I am afraid of hearing no. When it, It's weird. Because I was never afraid of hearing no when I would try and ask to get a, a press car. And I got told no all the time. And I wasn't necessarily too afraid to hear no when I asked a girl out. But it was when I tried to get advertisers for autos. It was weird. I was always hesitant. Um, because I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to give back enough. It's kind of weird. Uh, t- so to this day, even, Raw Autos really doesn't have a lot of advertising on it. You know, right now I don't think I have really anything on it. Uh, and a lot of that is just to do with my uncomfortableness, uh, with marketing because I believe in what I have. I know what I have. I, I, I'm happy to show anybody my, my server numbers. I love raw autos, but I'm just afraid that I don't know. Like I, 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 I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. I'll sell myself to anybody, but I don't want to, I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time selling to marketing because I'm afraid of that. No, that embarrassment. I don't know why that's embarrassing to me. I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about it in the next podcast. But with that, it's been an hour. I'm going to end this podcast because there's no point in droning on anymore because I've already droned on way too much. And I just want you to remember, stay safe out there. Stay vigilant when it comes to social distancing and protecting the people you love. Um, I know it's tough. I know it's tough. For me, I like staying at home. My wife, (laughs) man, she hates it. But it's one of those things that we have to think about the people we love and care about and the people we just adore, you know? And so that's what I want in the end is for everybody just to realize that we're going to get back to our normal selves sooner than later. But for right now, we just have to be cautious. So with that, don't forget that the Raw Autos podcast is on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and um, it's currently being reviewed by Google Podcasts, so hopefully it'll be up there soon. Friday's show... Uh, so this is going live, obviously, April 15th. Friday's show, April 17th. Now, by the way, this will this is officially marked three weeks of doing Raw Auto shows. This is episode eight. Uh, episode nine will be on Friday. Uh, normally, this would have been eight weeks worth of content. Uh, and on Friday, it would have been nine weeks worth of content. But I wanted to give people a new show uh, you know, three days a week, uh, just so they have plenty of content to listen to. There's not a ton of people listening, but there are enough where I realized I see that there's potential in this. Uh, and also I enjoy doing it because I enjoy talking to the people that I love and adore and have obsessed over my entire career and before. So, uh, episode nine will feature the 
absolutely awesome. The fantastic JF Musial. Uh, JF uh, is an actual real deal filmmaker. Um, he has two films that you can find online. Uh, one of them being Apex, the story of the hypercar, uh, narrated by none other than Chuck, also known as Zachary Levi, on, and that's on Netflix. And then you can buy uh, or rent on Amazon, I think uh, Google and Apple have it and everything, um, which is Apex, the secret race across America, all about Alex Roy trying to break the record from New York to L.A., which was, at the time, 32 hours and 7 minutes. Friday morning, you'll be able to wake up, and uh, you'll have some fresh uh, Folgers in your cup, nice little freeze-dried coffee, and you can listen to the Brawlers podcast with Jeff Mutual. I'm out of here. I'm Josh Lewis, the founder, editor, photographer, videographer, uh, not so much marketer, uh, writer, everything of rawautos.com. Please visit rawautos.com. Uh, and then email me at josh at rawautos.com if you have any questions, concerns, comments. Tell me you hate me. Tell me you love me. I don't care. I love it all. Until then, happy motoring.